0: You have your iPads. You can open them up to 3rd John. <laughs> Yesterday I was in a church in, um, that I preached in a long time ago. And uh, they still had one of our prayer cards when we were missionaries to Argentina. And you could see me and Katie and look at Ellie in that picture. Oh, she a little beauty or what? And so she's a... He's amazing, and um, now going to be 20 years old this year. So how time flies. They, they, they grow up quick, and we're thankful to the Lord for them and, and um, what God's doing there. I, I want to help you this morning. I want to help you find the perfect church. All right? You guys ready for this? You, you know, you want to find the perfect church? Well, you're here. Amen? All right? And if you think that, I have a car I want to sell you in a parking lot. All right, that ain't mine. Um, It's amazing. It's amazing how we deceive ourselves to thinking that it's actually out there when it's not. And we travel and we go and we visit and we look and we search and we got to find it. We got to find the place that meets our needs and fits all of us. And uh, we look and we look and finally, a guy wrote an article on how to find the perfect church, and he said this. He goes, you know the old saying, right? Once you found the perfect church, as soon as you walk in, what does it stop being? The perfect church, right? Because we're imperfect people. And, and sometimes we look at churches like marriages, you know, I don't want to pick on Justin and Jesse, but they're going to get married here in a few months or whenever it is. And, and uh, they're all excited because everything's perfect right now. But wait till you get married. Things change a little bit, right? All of a sudden, things are different. You, you start arguing about stuff that uh, you never even thought. I remember Katie and I, the third day of marriage, third day we were married. I said, let's go this way. She said, no. I said, you never said no to me before. He goes, I don't want to go that way. I want to go this way. I said, but I don't want to go this way. I want to go that way. And all of a sudden, here we are, our third day of marriage in Italy, in the most beautiful place in the world, Sorrento. Take me to Sorrento, baby. We have our first fight. I mean, it was incredible. And all of a sudden, we think if, we, if there's conflict, that something's wrong. No, it's not only something wrong, it's life. In fact, there's conflict in churches. Are you ready for this? Look at what this guy says. Squint, squint your eyes. Look at this. Every church, however strong, however healthy, struggles with conflict. It's there. Every one of them. It is critical that this is be understood. Lest we become disillusioned when conflict and division come. If we bring into the church utopian ideals, if we think that we are joining the perfect church... If we think that all will be warmth and love, disappointment is inevitable. Welcome to marriage. Look what churches have. You ready for this? I don't like the first two words here. Imperfect what? Pastors. Why did you say that so strong? You guys are after me today. Don't worry, I'm coming after you in a minute here. But imperfect pastors. Yeah, we are here. Imperfect elders. Amen. Imperfect deacons, Cameron, amen. Imperfect members, amen. We're all there, right? Are easy targets for criticism. Are you going to find faults here? You better believe it. Are you going to find faults in me? Yes, you will. They're not hard to see. Are you going to find faults in the leadership here in the church? You will. Will you find faults in the membership of the church? You will. It's all over the place because we're all imperfect. Look what he says here. He says, every church is flawed. Every church is a mixture of wheat and tares. Every church is ripe for criticism. I don't like that. Because criticism hurts. And oftentimes we get pretty offended when somebody starts to criticize us and we start to think about all their faults so we can minimize our own and really change. Today we're going to talk about troublemakers, troublemakers in the church. Now, if you're a troublemaker, you're going to find out. If you think this sermon is about you and you're convicted from it, then it is about you and you should be convicted of it. If you're worried about being a troublemaker, you probably are a troublemaker. So the question is, is how do we deal with this? How do we deal with them in the home? How do we deal with them in school? How do we deal with them in the job place? And how does God help us not to be like that? So let's look at this passage here in 3 John. Because this is an amazing passage. We're going to look at two verses today for the next two hours. And we're going to really look through this. That One amen. Wow, this is a rough. Amen.
1: There we go. You guys are
0: out uh, of sleep here. going to wake you up here. Here we go. 3 John. Look at this here. He starts off here. 3 John 9. 3 John 9. 3 John 9. Third John, hey, amen, there we go. See how God, imperfect uh, people uh, pushing the buttons too. Here we go. I wrote something to the church. Now look at this here, third John. Now, we don't have this letter. Somehow it's gone. We don't know what exactly John wrote to the church at this time. We don't know, some people say this, with John, and because we know from the few verses before, he was recommending some missionaries, and he wanted the church to take on these missionaries. We, we got a letter from, from Liz's daughter and Liz's son-in-law, and, and and how they're missionaries, and in that letter, in that packet, they have two recommendation letters. Why? Because we don't know them too well. We know of them, but we don't know them too well, so what pastors do is they send recommendation letters, and they say, you know what? You need to take on these people, well, this is what's happening here. John is writing a, a letter to the church, and he's he's trying to tell them, look, there's some missionaries that are going to be going through here. You need to you need to support them. They're going out for the sake of Christ's name. They're going out not receiving anything from the Gentiles. You need to take them on. But look who's in the church. There he is, Diotrephes. That's a name you probably don't want to name your kids. It's only found here in the New Testament. It means Zeus-nurtured. Mm. Interesting word, huh? Zeus-nurtured. Some thinks he was, he was someone of noble birth. He was a rich person, an aristocrat. He had, he had money. He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. This guy, this guy knew how to call the shots. He grew up in that kind of environment. And, and his, his name is Diotrephes. And, and look what we learn. How do you spot a troublemaker? Here's some characteristics of, of the person who's a troublemaker. Look at this in verse 9 here. Here it is. He loves to be first among them. Watch this. He's the one that loves to be the center of attention. The one that calls the shots. The main attraction. The CEO. The one that has his way no matter what. Look what this word means. This is a very interesting word in the Greek. The word uh, to, 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 uh, to, to want the first position, look at this, says it's a, it's a compound word. It's only used here in the Greek. It means to be found of the first position. Let's, let's move up there, Johnny, to the, to the Greek word there. All right, there we go, but diatrophies. Let's see, wake him up. Who loves the first one? There we go, next, next slide, here we go, boom, boom, boom. Boom, there we go, now he's awake. To be found of the first position. To wish to be first. To like to be the leader. The word expresses ambition and the desire to have first place in everything. You say, that's not me. Oh, yes it is. When was the last time you criticized somebody who was in your authority? That teacher doesn't know anything. I know better than that teacher. I know better than that I know better than that pastor. I, I know better than those elders. Oh, my mom knows nothing. Dumb. She lived 40 years ago. She didn't know. Oh, this one doesn't know anything. When was the last time you did that? Search your heart. That was the last time you were being at diatrophes. You love to call the shots. You love to be first place. You love to do it. And and he wants to be first. He has an ambition to do that. He wants to be the one. I remember a pastor that got in the pulpit and he told the church this. The, the person with the last word here is me. I'm the one that gives the last word here. I call the shot. I make the decisions. So they were, it was amazing that someone would even say that. And then you would think, would he practice that? He can't practice that. There's no way. Well, one time they had a church vote, and he had the church vote about something. and He had them all raise their hand, and they all raised their hand. We don't want this, pastor. He said, put your hand down. I'm the one that decides. Wow. Are there people like that in the church? Oh, you better believe it. Are there people who are desiring to get their own way? Are there people who want first place? You better believe. And here's the problem. Whose church is this anyway? Whose church is it? It's God's. Who gets first place here? God does. Look what it says here in Colossians 1.18. It says this. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is in the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have what? First place in what? In everything. He's the one that calls the shots. I had one guy once tell me, this is my brother's church. I said, no, it's not. This is my brother's church. I said, no, it's not. This is my brother's church. I said, no, it's not. He's looking at him. I said, this is God's church. And the moment we understand that and let him call the shots, we're going to do what's right. But this person here has to call the shots. This person loves to be in further. This person wants the very place of Jesus Christ in the church. It could be a man. It could be, you ready for this? It could be a woman. That one amen. And let me just tell you, there are a lot of ladies that come to churches that want to call the shots. And their husbands are scared to say anything to them. Because in the home, guess who calls the shots? And you ain't messing around with that person. And so they come to churches and guess what they want to do? Call the shots. Not one amen from a man right now because he knows he ain't getting lunch if he says it. Not getting lunch anyway. Wow. Well, we know one that's calling the shots here. Let's move on. How tragic it is when people put themselves in the place of Christ. How tragic it is to think that church revolves around what we want. And, and this and this person Diotrephes, look how far he goes. This is amazing here. In, in, in verse nine, it says this. I wrote something, but the church and but, but Diotrephes, a strong contrast in the Greek. He stopped it because he loves to be in first place. And look what it says here in verse nine. He does not accept what we say. Do you understand what he's saying here? He's saying this. He's saying he knows better than the apostle John. The Apostle John who was with Jesus, the Apostle John who wrote scriptures, the Apostle John who had authority, Diotrephes thinks he knows better than John. In other words, he's saying this, I know better than God. Wow. The audacity of that. To think that they know better than God, that they know better than anybody else that's in the authority. Now, now here's the problem. Here's the problem. And this is what happens with us. And even back then, 2,000 years in the church, what was happening then? Elders back then weren't that well-trained. Elders back then weren't that smart. They didn't have degrees. They weren't doctors. They didn't have all these degrees. So people in the church thought, you know what, I'm smarter than that person. I am smarter and have more common sense than that person. So therefore, I don't need to submit to that person. Let me just tell you this. If submission had to do with common sense... We'd all be in trouble. I couldn't lead my family. Because my wife is a lot smarter and has a lot more common sense than I do. It's not about that. Now some of your wives are looking at your husbands, yeah, that's me too. (laughs) Wow, it got hot here quick, didn't it? Submission has nothing to do with that. But we need to be very careful with this. Because when we say that we know better and we put the facade of concern, and it's not about concern, what the real issue is about control. We don't have control. And when we don't have control, that bothers us. And when the people who are in authority are are lacking the common sense that we think they should have, because everybody knows better than the person that is in the authority. We know better than our teachers, amen? We know better than our coaches, amen? We know better than our parents, amen? We know better than everyone. And we wouldn't say this, but some of us think we know better than God. And that was this man. He had the audacity to say, you know what? I'm not accepting what John says. Do you know what it's saying here in this? John sent this letter, not so the letter would just be read. He sent this letter so it would be obeyed that they would follow it. But he didn't want to do that. Because he didn't have control. And watch how this digresses. This is amazing. I want you to see what happens. Because here's what happens. We want an ambition. We have an ambition. We want to be the one to call the shots. We lose that control. We're under somebody who we think shouldn't call the shots. So we don't accept what they say. And we have to go further than that. We go down this path. Watch what happens. Watch what troublemakers do. This is, this is incredible. Look at verse 10. Here's what happens. We start to now say things. This ambition leads to arrogance, to accusations. Watch this. We, we start to say things in verse 10 that make no sense. They're unjust. They, they hold no weight. They're lies. They're wrong. In fact, I, I love how the Bible uses words, and I love studying words, but look at this word here, unjustly accusing us. The word there means to babble. You ever listen to a kid? Babble? I remember when Ellie, in the middle of the night, woke up and said, I ain't caca. Mm-hmm. I said, what is that? I ain't caca. And what in the world? She said, I ain't caca. I'm like, what is Ellie saying? You know what I mean? And three o'clock in the morning, I ain't caca. I said to Katie, get up, everyone. I don't know what she wants. What you want. I want a caca. I want a cracker. I want a cracker. I want a caca. <laughs> Can understand it, Kaka. This is babble. This is nonsense. This holds no weight to it. The person that's not getting their way, they're not satisfied with that. They've lost control, and so what do they do? They start to talk nonsense to other people. They start to spew out things that make no sense. That hold no weight. Look at this. It's not only that, it's evil. They do it with wicked words. They lie. I was telling this in the first service. I remember an accusation that came against me. and There are plenty. I mean, I have a tremendous amount of faults. But one guy was going around when we decided to take the pews out and put chairs in. One guy was going around telling people, Jeremy made us take the pews out. Jeremy made us do it. Now, how do I make people take the pews out? Did I say to this guy, you, you, pews out, get them out. How do you even do that? I mean, we had a chair committee. We had a chair of the chair committee. I mean, it took a long time to get the pews out. And it wasn't even my idea. Somebody said to me, we've got to take the pews out. I said, okay, let's just try and We'll, we'll put chairs in. I mean, it didn't even come from me. But yet he was going around saying, you know what, this guy, unbelievable how he is. He made us take our pews out. That's why we're not going to that church anymore. Wow. I mean, of all the things he could have accused me of, he, there's a thousand things. That's not, that's probably not. I mean, but yet they start spewing things out that make no sense. lies. And let me just tell you something. When we start lying, we are aligning ourselves with the devil. Look at, look at what Chris Creech says here. This is amazing. He says, Chris Creech writes this, the one sure way to recognize a clergy killer, he calls them, that's a phrase, is the use of the lie. When an individual within a church is shown to have used a lie, there is no doubt that evil is at work and that person has tied himself or herself to an allegiance with the devil. Why? Because he's the father of lies. Either knowingly or unknowingly. You see what's happening here? This, this person, how, how sad this is going down here. This, this person doesn't get his way, wants to be the way. They don't get their way. So what do they do? They start to use wicked words. They start to lie and spew out things that have, make no sense. And they're lying about the people and they're, they're lying so that they would get people on their side and they're aligning themselves with the devil. This gets very tragic here. He doesn't stop there. You wish he would, but he wouldn't. Look at this in verse 10. This person is relentless, not satisfied with this, not satisfied with just spewing out things that really hurt people and lying about their character and lying about who they are. These people are relentless. They will not stop. They go on and on. These are the ones on Facebook fighting with people. These are the ones sending emails to church members. These are the ones sending texts out. These are the ones that will not stop until they have a crowd around them, until people see things their way. These are the ones that just do not stop. They're relentless. I heard of one church where a guy grabbed a church directory and called everyone in the church and let them know how bad the leadership was. They're relentless, these people. It's sad. They don't stop. They're not satisfied with just spewing out lies. They have to get it all out. They got to keep going. That's what troublemakers do. And then look at this, the actions here that come. He himself does not receive the brethren. And the opposite of what you do with with missionaries, he doesn't receive the missionaries. He doesn't refresh them. He doesn't receive them. He doesn't release them. He doesn't give them money. He doesn't help them on their way. And, And you better be careful if you want to help them because watch what happens here in verse 10. If you want to help those guys, guess what he does? He kicks you right out of the church. Now let me say something. Church discipline is not a bad thing. There are times when the church must take a stand. If somebody lives in unrepentant sin that's causing division, doing things that don't please God and refuses to change, yes, church discipline is important and godly. But we don't discipline people who want to be faithful to God. And yet this guy starts throwing people out of the church who want to be faithful to God. Isn't that sad? This, 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 is, this is a sad life. And unfortunately, I've seen too many of this. Too much of this. Too many people like this. In fact, I got friends who were in the ministry who are no longer in the ministry because of people like this. I had one that had to call the cops on a Sunday morning to stop an incident in the church because of someone like this. It happens. It is sad. Look, look what look what one guy says here. This is a sick, sad digression to Diotrephes' behavior. Do you see it? Ambition leads to arrogance, which then leads to accusations, culminating in what? In actions. He acted exactly the opposite of Gaius, but then he went further. He slandered John, gave a cold. Shoulder to these missionaries from John stopped others who had received them and kicked them out of the church. Anyone who attempted to help them all because of what he loved himself and loved his agenda. You see it all because it's about him and his agenda and what he wants. And, And if he doesn't get what he wants, watch out. And he had to have his way no matter what. This is what is sad. No matter what harm it causes to people. No matter what it does to families. I've seen it. I remember asking two pastors ago, Randy, nice guy, really with a southern accent, beautiful guy. I said, so what, what, how did God move you away from Whitefield Community Bible Church? You know what he said? He goes, I don't think God moved me away from Whitefield Community Bible Church. It was two people in the church that moved me out of here. Two people. Those two people came after the next pastor. And guess what happened to that pastor? He was a tragedy. He left too. Announced to the church. He announced to people in the leadership. He said, yeah, I'm leaving because they're abusing my wife. Two people. Those two people, when I came, they loved me, didn't they? Yeah, right. They told me they loved me when I got through the door in the beginning. But then they came after me too. Two people. It's all it takes. Two diatrophies. Two people who don't get their way, who love themselves more than they love God, who love their agenda more than they love God's agenda, who think they know better than God, who will do anything to get their way, even if it destroys families. They're out there. So you say to yourself, what do you do? <laughs> how, how do you handle them? Now here's where this gets easy for me because I'm Italian. <laughs> I just make three phone calls. <laughs> Uncle Vinny, we got somebody doing this. Do what you do. And they disappear. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Wouldn't that be that easy? You understand? I say that jokingly, but really it's, it's kind of one time in, in Argentina, somebody did something to me and my brother calls me up. He says, hey, Jeremy, you want me to go down and take care of it? I says, no, John, no, no, please don't. <laughs> that's not, although my flesh wants that. That's not gonna be the godly response to this. I do have connections, but that's not what we do. Wouldn't it be easy if we could do it that way? I mean, we could handle it that way. I'll tell you how our flesh wants to handle these people. But yet we have to be godly and we have to, we have to handle them in a godly way. Now, now some people will tell you this. They'll give you this advice. Just leave it alone. It'll go away. Ready for this? It doesn't go away. In fact, it gets worse over time. If we don't confront it right away or confront it in a godly timing, if we don't confront it and allow it to go, it will grow. And so there are times when we just let it go, when we don't have to deal with an issue. But in this case, we can't let it go. And here's what John does. Look what it does. Look what he says here in verse 10. This is amazing. He says this. For this reason, if I come, watch this, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does. He says, I'm not going to let this go. John, in the zeal for the church, And his love for God, and his love for God's work and how he loves, he has to handle this. So he says, when I come, I'm going to call attention to his deeds. You know what this word means? It's the exact opposite of what God promises us when we get saved. When we get saved, God promises this, most wonderful promise in the Bible. He says this, I will remember your sins, how often? No more, more. they're gone. Praise God for that. We're not going to go to heaven and there's going to be a PowerPoint of all our sins. Praise God. He says, I will remember him how often? No more. I won't hold him against you. I won't bring him up. You know what John says? He uses the opposite of the word. He says this, I'm going to bring it up. I'm going to not let these sins go by. I'm going to bring up his deeds. Because here's why. His deeds reveal, reveal the character of this person. Now now how do you bring it up? Here's where we have to be very careful. And I've used this phrase before and I'll use it again. Be very careful about getting in a boxing match with a skunk. <laughs> because you will come out smelling. So how do you deal with these people? Here it is. This is a troublemaker in the home, a troublemaker anywhere you, you face here in your life, and a troublemaker in the church. Here's the first thing we ought to do, and this is so important. We need to examine our motives. Why, why do I want to confront this person? Do I want to give him a piece of my mind? Well, if I start there, I've missed it. I want to confront this person because I want them to be all that God wants them to be. I want them to be restored with God. I want them to have a right relationship with God. That has to be my motive. The motive has to be restoration. Their relationship with God is broke. It's not just you and them. It's the relationship with God. They It starts to start there. So examine your motives. Why do I want to confront this person? And then examine your life. Can I confront him? Am I living the same thing? Here's the problem. We got troublemakers confronting troublemakers. So we ought to ask ourselves, God, am I a troublemaker? Am I undermining authority? Am I the one that thinks I know better than everybody else? Am I the one that's causing problems and hindering works instead of helping them? Lord, help my life before I go to that life. And sometimes you know what God says? Before you go to that person, he says, that's you too. Help me to be an example. Help me not to undermine. I tell you, I, I needed this. Johnny now is playing for a different coach. I know better than the coach. I know how to run the team. He doesn't have the common sense I do. And God's like, Jeremy, watch out. Don't be a diatrophies." Be very careful. Ooh, that hurts. Examine your life. Here's the next thing. Choose the right time. Sometimes we get people at the wrong time, and that's, that doesn't help. My wife knows if I preach a bad sermon, which happens every Sunday, she doesn't tell me right after the sermon. She waits. And then I ask her, so how did it go? And if there's a pause, I knew it was bad. So how'd it go, honey? Mmm. Not so good. Thank you. She knows the timing. She knows when. We got to choose the right time. We got to choose the right words. This takes, this takes time to do that. We got to study. Out, what do I want to say to this person? What's going to be best? And, and, and here's, here's an important thing. We got to comfort before we correct them. We got to let them know we love them. <laughs> We're here out of love. We're here to help you. We're here here to be here because we love you. Not not just the correct we we comfort them with words. We let them know about things in their character that are great. And then this is the one of the most important things. Be prepared to give a biblical solution. We miss this. We go up to troublemakers and we say, You're this and you're that, you're this and you're that. God bless you. See you later. What's the solution? All of a sudden, they bring up the problems. Hey, pastor, you know this is a problem in the church? Really, I didn't know that. So, so what's the solution? I don't know the solution. I'm just telling you the problem. Don't come with the problem unless you have the what? The solution. <laughs> and by God's grace, there's never going to be a problem without a biblical solution. Praise the Lord. Never going to be. I don't care what the character flaw is. So be prepared to give a solution. Here's, here's another thing that's so important. The reproof should communicate a what? A spirit of gentleness. Sometimes we get so passionate about something, and we have that, what we call the righteous anger. You know, we got, we're going to give it to that person in a righteous way, you know, and we're going to really give it to him, and we're going to let them know, and as soon as we give it to them like that, we've missed it. Because there's only one person that can get mad and not sin, and his name is Jesus. Amen. And yet, we have people who think we can get mad and scream at people and tell people off and we're doing it in a right way before God. No, we're not. I had one guy one time in my office, he told me this. He said, we we, we made, uh, people were going to watch Star Wars here. And I didn't know back then that that offended some people. I just got to the States at the time. And so I said, hey, why don't you go watch Star Wars with people? He came into my office he said, you don't love the church. You don't love the church. He's backing up. You don't love the church. You don't love the church. And he backs out of my office and leaves. I said, I don't love the church. What happened? You told me to go to Star Wars. How can you love this church? You don't love them. Then he writes me later on. He says, I'm so sorry, pastor. I'm so passionate about this. I didn't mean to scream like that. And let you know. How is that godly? How is that a solution? How is that what God would want? And right after that, I took my kid to Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) And bought him popcorn, because I love him. Sometimes we miss this part. Because we're so passionate, and we think we know what God wants, and yet we beat the people down with our words and our actions. Here's what's sad. If we're honest here this morning, a lot of us are living like diatrophies. So here's something to ponder. And here's something you ought to ask yourself. Are you a uniter? Do you really want the best for God's church? If we want the best for God's church, it's not going to be about us. It's going to be about God. Yes. It means sometimes it's going to go in a direction and we say, you know what? If it's not an ungodly direction, if it's an ungodly direction, you leave. You go somewhere else. And that That's not what it says. But if, if it's going in a direction that we may not think, we say, you know what, God? You know best. We're going to submit to you. We want to unite. We want to help what God is doing here. Are you a uniter? That's what Gaius was. Look at this. Next thing here, as Johnny hits something to ponder here, are you a uniter? And then notice this here. Are you a what? A divider. Are you someone undermining what God does? You do it in the home. I don't agree with your mother, but let me tell you kids something. That's undermining the wife. That's undermining the mother. Well, I don't agree with your dad. But you, we'll have to do this. That's undermining the father. That's undermining the dad. Or going around people's homes. I, I don't agree with this. I don't like what, what's going on here. And, and I, I think we need to change that. I don't, I don't like undermining what's going on, dividing what's going on, hindering what's going on. It is so easy for us to do. I don't like what the coach is doing. I don't like how how he's doing this. Undermining what the coach is doing. Undermining. It is so easy for us to live like this. So we say, God, help our hearts. Help me to be a uniter, not a divider. And when things don't go my way, help me not to pout and shout like a little three-year-old and sit there in the church and say, you know what, I just didn't like what they were going to do, but I'm here anyway, and I just don't like what they're going to do. I said this this morning, and it backfired on me. I said, don't sit in your pew like this. And then Stephen came up to me and said, you can't say that because you got rid of the pews. Anyway, so... (laughs) That was a good one. You got me good on that one. (laughs) Don't sit in the chairs. Frustrated, undermining, and causing pain, unnecessary pain to people and destroying lives. Life is too short for that. I have friends who are casualties in the ministry because of this, who studied and worked hard, got doctorates, who loved the people they were serving but who two or three destroyed him. I've seen it too much. It pains me. Let me just say, it makes my stomach sick. I I wish I could say that Whitefield doesn't have any people like that. It's not true. They're everywhere. They have to be in charge. Because if not, they will let you know. And they will make sure they will make the ultimatums. They will make the accusations. They will say the harmful things. And then they will go their way. And we're left wounded. God knows. I tell people, you know what? We need people like that around us because they cut us down to size. They put us on our knees. They make us cry out to God. God. They make us examine our lives like ever before. But I pray that no one here is living like this. That you look, you take a hard look at your life, and you say, God, am I a uniter or a divider? Am I undermining what God is doing because I'm not getting my way? Or am I rejoicing in what God is doing? You remember John the Baptist? He started to get the fame, and what did he say? He said, He must increase, but I must what? Decrease. It's not about me. And it's not about you. It's about Him. He calls the shots. And if He's given you authority in your life that you have more common sense than that person, remember this God, help me to submit and be a uniter and not a divider. Yes. Because submission is not about who's smarter. Submissions about what God has in your life. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, God, because we realize that these characteristics are in all of our lives. We have this ambition and we we make the facade of concern that we're really concerned, but we're not concerned. It's about control. And so, Lord, what do we do? We, we start to accuse and things come out of our mouths about people to cut them down to size so that we look better. And yet, Lord, we're only hurting ourselves doing that. We're aligning with the devil. And sometimes our hearts are not satisfied with that because the person continues in their authority. So we'll do anything we can and everything we can to destroy them. I've seen people and friends destroyed. And God, I, I just pray, Lord. I pray for Whitefield Community Bible Church. I pray with all our flaws, with all our imperfections, that you would help each one here to have a heart, to seek your will, and to want your agenda above our own. May we make our lives about you and not about us. There are some who are in classrooms looking at teachers and saying, this guy, uh, this girl knows nothing. Lord, help their heart during those moments to realize that you have put them in that place at that time so that they would submit to imperfect leadership knowing that one day they're going to want people to submit to their own imperfect leadership. Help the wife or the husband who's undermining each other. Help, Lord, the worker who's undermining the boss. Help our hearts today. Because whether we'd like to admit it or not, we all have these characteristics in our lives. So we come to you. We open our hearts. We ask you to forgive us and we ask you to cleanse us and we ask you to change us. We don't want to be the same. We want to stand out. We want to be different. We want to show the world that there is a God. That in the midst of things that we may not agree with that we're willing to submit because we want your will, not ours. So help us, Lord. We praise you and love you in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. Amen. You would